Oh, Dave, God, I didn't get, I'm exhausted. I didn't get any sleep at all last night. Well, what happened? I know. I just kept having these, these horrible nightmares. Like I dreamed, I dreamed I had this big mountain of rice and some of the rice grains were red and some were green and some were blue and some were purple. And, and it was my job. Someone told me it's my job. I had to go through and, and organize all these rice grains in, into piles. Like you put the red pile over here and the green pile over here and the blue pile over here. And and in this dream, I kept doing that over and over and over again. And then as I was almost done, close to getting done, someone would come by and kick all the piles together and make a mess and told me I had to start all the way over. It was horrible. I, it, that dream just ne- didn't end. Have you been sniffing the whiteboard markers again? No, 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 not anymore. I think what happens, I've just been trying to do too many of my patients' home medication reconciliations. Welcome back to Sick Enough. <laughs> so welcome back to Sick Enough, the show about... The patients who are sick enough to be in the hospital and the doctors and nurses who are sick enough to work there. I'm Tyler. No, I'm Dave. Just a quick disclaimer. Although Dave and I are real doctors, we are not your doctor. The show is not designed for medical advice. If you think you might be having an emergency, you should not be listening to the show. You should call 911 immediately. Furthermore, we are not pediatricians. We are not trained or qualified to comment on pediatric care. This is for adult medicine only. So today's episode is called The Mystery of the Patient's Home Medications. Now, a very challenging and surprisingly challenging part of my job is when someone comes into the hospital, I have to get them on their correct home medication regimen. Mm-hmm. People take pills at home. They're coming into the hospital. Unless there's some problem with that pill, we need to start them on the home meds. I'm well aware that any doctor's job is to get patients on the correct medication list, especially me. I'm a hospitalist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm the front line. I'm the face of this motion here. I mean, if, if, if I can't get the patient on their correct home medication list, no one can, right? I mean, for God's sake, if a hospitalist can't get the patient on their correct home medication list, why does a hospitalist have a paycheck? Sadly, it's not that easy. This happens all the time. And well, I would also just chime in that not only is it, you know, important for us to to continue patients on their home medications, it can be dangerous if we don't. If we forget to start someone's seizure medicine or, you know, if there's a rate control for AFib. Yeah. um, Then they can they can develop problems in the hospital that they would not have had if they stayed home. So it's astronomically important we get every patient on their home medications. Unfortunately, it's almost an impossible task. If I've got a patient in front of me who knows exactly what they take at home, it's probably this guy. It's a relatively healthy 40 to 50-year-old guy who takes like, well, yes, for my cholesterol, I take simvastatin 10 milligrams every night before bed. And for my blood pressure, I take lisinopril 5 milligrams in the morning. And that's it. These patients exist. These these are out there. I love these patients. <laughs> yes, it, it makes my job very easy, but sadly, these patients are rare. Mm-hmm. My patient population, the hospitalized patients, these are patients who are very sick at baseline. If you're very sick at baseline, you're probably going to be into the double digits, and it's not rare at all to see someone come into the hospital who takes over 20 home medications. Mm-hmm. How on earth do they keep track of that? I don't know if I could keep track of that if I was supposed to be on 20 mm-hmm. medications. And don't forget, if you're an avid listener, going back to episode one, you've heard me say that I may have 20 patients on my rallying list today. So if we do the math here, if I have 20 patients and each one's taking 20 home medications, that's an astounding 400 medications I have to keep in order with my name on it. And and that's just for today. Not to mention that you'll probably get four or five new patients tomorrow and have to learn all their medications too. Yeah. So despite the sheer magnitude of the volume of medications with my name on them in any given day, that's actually not the purpose of this episode. I'm not asking you for asking for you to feel sorry for me, and I'm not so, trying to say that just because 20 times 20 is 400 that my task is impossible. It's actually a lot of other things that make this task impossible. 
even if my rounding list had only 10 patients and only half of them were on a pill for blood pressure, I still probably wouldn't get it right. And I'm about to tell you why. So keep that in mind as I go over the rest of this episode, that even when we have a short number of medications, errors are still inevitable. And then as you start to appreciate that, I then want you to keep track of what I said earlier. If I'm keeping track of 400 medications, the task becomes impossible. So Tyler, why is it so hard to find out what medications patients take at home? Have you tried asking them? Oh, hold on. Uh, let's ask our sound engineer to cut out the section where I busted out laughing for about five minutes here. <laughs> um, now let's get back to talking. Most patients in the double-digit medications simply have no idea what they take, yeah. plain th- and simple. I think we talked about it in an earlier episode about, um, it was, I think, the episode where we were telling people what they need to pack for the hospital. Yeah. And patients tell me, I, I take a blue pill um, and it's right. round. And I take a capsule that's right. white and yellow, and but they can't tell me the names. They can't tell me when they take it. Yeah, and it drives me up a wall. I don't know if it's a. I don't want to sound harsh. I don't know if it's an intelligence thing. I don't know if it's a motivation thing. I don't know what it is. But if you ask a patient what they're taking at home, there's a small chance they actually know. They simply don't know. Um, almost without exception, they simply shrug their shoulders. Uh, so honestly, me asking them is kind of useless. Some of them will say, well, my wife keeps track of that stuff, but then the wife doesn't know either. Mm-hmm. By and large, I don't even usually ask the patient because it's kind of it's kind of a moot point. They will try. They will try. They will say, well, I take a blue pill, I take two white pills, a yellow pill, and I take a square pill. Okay, so public service announcement here to all our listeners. Please stop describing to us what the pills visually look like. I believe the FDA has approved over 19,000 prescription medications, and we've only got about five or six color choices in two or three shapes. So no matter how hard we run the math here, we're, we're not going to have a unique looking pill here. What it looks like does not help us. Not even to mention that sometimes we have generics and name brands, and those mm-hmm. look different too. So if you take Simvastatin or Zocor, that can have, it's the same pill, but can have two different appearances. There is an atlas though that does exist. That supposedly shows what each and every pill right. looks like, but uh, you're—I really don't think you want your doctor thumbing through an atlas trying to trying to compare pills and say, "Oh, I think this might oh, be the this one." This could be—is that a—is that a five or an S? Yeah. That, like, no, I, I'm not. I—I I, don't—I wouldn't do that, and that would probably take an hour for one patient mm-hmm. with, if they're on 15 medications. And as Dave just said, even if you put the pill in my hand and let me look it up. I, 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 it might work or it might not. So please let's not go down the road where we describe pills. It's, it's not going to work. In a previous episode, we talked about, you know, the patients will sometimes bring in a handwritten list, which can be helpful, Mm -hmm. but it is still a long, long way from perfect. I will trust this list if it looks relatively new, meaning the paper is not wrinkled or beat up, (laughs) or I will trust this list if there are no scratch offs or edits. Maybe less than 5 to 10% of these handwritten lists are look on like they're on freshly printed paper and there are no mm-hmm. scratch-offs and there are no edits. As such, most of these are horribly unreliable and very hard to trust. When they come in, they give me the list. There's 15 medic. First off, first off, the piece of paper looks like a tissue. And then there's 15 <laughs> things written like on it. like they scrawled it on a cocktail napkin. Right. And, then, <laughs> and they've scratched off four and handwritten five more. Yeah. I don't know. Can you blame me for not really trusting? Well, and then you're like, okay, so it says here that you're taking a Torvastat. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. I stopped that one two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. I stopped that one two weeks ago. So why did you write it on there? Yeah. So it's it's a good step, but it is still not going to give us your home medications. Mm -hmm. The next thing patients will try when they're telling me what they take is they'll bring a big Ziploc bag full of pills. Similar discussion as above. It can indeed be helpful and sometimes very helpful, but it's still a long, long, long way from being Mm -hmm. perfect. 
I can't tell you how many times they will hand me this big Ziploc bag. And as I'm looking through their bottles one by one, I will see three different bottles of Plavix. One of them expired two years ago. One of them expired five years ago. And one of them expired eight years ago. And I'll say, are you sure you're taking this every single day? And they'll say, oh, yeah, of course I am. Or you'll see Coreg and Metoprolol, which are two drugs from the same class of medicine and would be redundant to take both or, you know. And so, again, this this is not a silver bullet here. This is not going to tell me exactly And it can be so painful to go through those bags. Yes, it really can. And also, too, like I'll see inconsistencies. For example, if I got a patient who's had two heart attacks and two strokes and they give me their list or their Ziploc bag, and this bag does not contain an aspirin or does not contain a statin, <laughs> a cholesterol pill, that's a red flag. I mean, if someone's yeah. had two heart attacks, are you and two sure strokes, this is all you're <laughs> yeah. taking? I say, you sure you're not taking a statin like Lipitor? What, what about some aspirin? Do yeah. You, did anyone ever tell you to take aspirin? Nope. No one ever told you to yeah. take. Yeah. And they'll say, no, doctor, I'm sure that bag is exactly what I'm taking. Mm-hmm. And so then I'll say, okay, why does your primary care doctor not have you on a statin if you've had two heart attacks yeah. and two strokes? Oh, I don't know. We never talked about it. Okay. Yet again, talking... You you know that there's been some miscommunication. Yeah. Never mind the fact that even if I get a decent list assembled from one, talking to the patient, two, looking at the handwritten list, and three, looking at the Ziploc bag, at least 15% of the time, a day or two go by, and the patient's sister comes in with an extra bottle that they always forget about. And they can be really mad sometimes. Yeah. And they'll get mad at me for not starting. I've had families storm in and be like, why aren't you giving... This chemotherapy drug. And I'm kind of like, I didn't know he was getting this chemotherapy drug. You never told me. Yeah, you never told me. It wasn't in... At no point was it where we right. ever told he was supposed to be on this medication. So in summary, simply asking the patient is a grossly ineffective way of finding out their home medications list. I estimate it is accurate maybe 10, 20% of the time. What do you think about that? Um, I would say maybe 20%. I would be a little more generous. But yeah. There, you know, It's a good place to start. I'll it is say a good that. place to start. It's a good place to start, but it's, it is never going to be the final answer. The problem is it can be really time consuming and you may be no better off after spending, you know, you could spend half an hour, which is probably more time than you have to actually talk to the person to begin with. You know, if you're just admitting them to the hospital, mm-hmm. you know, that half hour would be better spent finding out, okay, what happened? How did you get here? Finding out more about their condition than having to waste that time finding out about their meds. And yeah. I shouldn't say... Waste, because it's not a waste finding yeah, out what meds. I wouldn't call it a waste of time, but it is a very inefficient use of it, time. Correct, yeah. yes. And so there, there definitely needs to be a better way. Yeah. A lot of times patients just say, just look in the computer. It's in the computer. Yeah. Like there's some magic central internet computer that tells us what, what they're supposed to be taking. When they say that to me, I want to pull my hair out because they have no idea how unreliable that is. And I'm glad you bring that up because that's a great segue into the next section here. We have other strategies to try to get, other than talk to the patients and look at their handwritten note, mm-hmm. we have other strategies to try to get their records. The The big one is, like you just said, look at the computer. We check the electronic record or prior admission records. Mm-hmm. If you're, this is this is more reliable if you're in a larger hospital and a larger network in a bigger city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our, cur- our current employer has a lot of, of, of tentacles all over the area. And so like, you know, I know if, if, if this patient's, primary care provider is in our network which is a very good chance there are then they go to my hospital boom i just pull up the progress note written two Mm. weeks ago and there's a home medications list even then though i find that a lot of primary care notes are not kept up to date because the primary care doctors don't always have time for that and even if it's what they're supposed to be taking that still doesn't mean that the patient's doing what they're supposed to do yeah it's exactly right 
sometimes the primary care doc's notes are a little sloppy and I'm not saying that to throw shade. I'm just saying yeah. it's, it's hard for me to trust that. And sometimes the patients themselves have two or three doctors they consider their primary yeah. care. And sometimes these hospitals, sometimes they go to other hospitals. Sometimes these are in network. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're out, out of network. So, sometimes they'll have a neurologist who's not part of our of yeah. the system and he'll have them on something that never makes it into their, into their computer. So, yeah. so it's, it's like if half their, records are in a different network mm-hmm. getting those records can be a pain and and i'll talk to talk about that in a minute just know that if we're looking for a quick and easy way to get patients on their correct home medications list getting them from out of network is probably not that mm-hmm. um, going back to something i mentioned earlier too for every medication a patient takes we have to know the name the dose the route which is usually by mouth the frequency and sometimes even how many pills did you get on your last refill? So that's mm-hmm. potentially three to five things that go with every prescription medication. You know, if you take lisinopril, well, we need to know lisinopril, the name, the dose, five milligrams, the root by mouth, the frequency once a day, and how many pills did you get on the last refill? So that's potentially five things to te- keep track of for each medication. Mm-hmm. So if a patient's taking 15 medications, answering each of those four to five questions for each medication, there's a ton of room for error. Yeah, especially if this is happening like at the end of a shift and when someone's in a rush and is just trying to get this information in so they can make it home. Sometime. They got dinner plans after yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to want to go through yeah. all those steps. So that's why that's kind of relating to what Dave said a second ago about how some of these med recs, just because we have a note in front of us, doesn't mean it's pristinely perfect. Now, all I've said just here is more for big hospitals, big cities. Well, this problem gets even harder if you go to a smaller hospital or rural area we have a lot more networks that don't like to talk to each other. At least that's been my experience. I don't know in other places. I know my last job before this one, it was a smaller hospital and a smaller history. My hospital was kind of on its own island network that for whatever reason didn't connect with any of the other local PCPs. I think think a lot of hospitals, at least in the past, don't like to share information because that's, it's sort of like depriving, you know, why would you give the competition help? But I think they're starting to figure out that when they collaborate and share information, it can cut down on duplicate tests yeah. and it, that it can actually help patient care and, and as a result, save money for the hospital systems. And so there have been some initiatives in parts of the country to centralize or at least to connect the medical record systems. Right. But if you're at a smaller hospital in a smaller city, there's a really good chance that your hospital simply doesn't have access mm-hmm. to what your primary doc is supposed to give you. So this notion of, oh, we should all be in the computer, that's grossly wrong. Yeah, It's almost never all in the computer. If I'm admitting a patient and their primary care is out of our computer network, which happened a lot at my prior job, um, sometimes all I can do is I can call their primary care's office. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll call over there. But this has a ton of roadblocks. Roadblock number one, a lot of people don't even know their primary care's name. I'll say, yeah, what's your primary care doc say? Well, he's that guy. He's really tall. He, he's, he's, yeah, he, if he doesn't shave, he has a beard, um, <laughs> you know, and, and like. He eats food sometimes. Right. And so. <laughs> he has ears. Oh, he's got ears. He's got, ear, he's got two, two ears. Yeah. So I can't get the records from this doctor's office if I don't know who the doctor is. Second roadblock, of course. He has an office on Main Street. Uh, Main Street. There we go. You know, with all the other medical offices. Right. Yeah. Where there's 17 other offices. <laughs> And secondly, too, even if they remember the doctor's name, I can only call them on Monday through Friday, nine through five. Mm-hmm. So I'm working my weekend shifts or my overnight shifts. I can't call them and I can't do this med rec. 
Now, even if this patient is being admitted on a Wednesday afternoon and they know their primary care is Dr. Turner, I call Dr. Turner's office and I'm still inhibited by, thank you for calling, push one, push two, push one, and then I'm on hold for 15 minutes. And then sometimes I have time to wait 15 minutes and sometimes I don't. And if I don't, I simply have to hang up. Mm -hmm. I can try to leave a voicemail. Dave, how, in your professional career, how many times do you think anyone's ever returned your voicemail? Never. I'm going to say. I mean, no, from a primary care doctor, yeah. I would say never. I'm going to say zero. It, it's Usually if I have to leave that. a message, I try to leave it with the nurse because I think that's. Right. I, that will stand a chance of getting back to me. And I've had nurses who are willing to to get that information for me and share it over the phone. Yeah. But it can be a chore getting a nurse on the phone too. Right. So. As, and as great segue into my next segment here, if I do get someone on the other end, for example, a nurse or an MA. You'd be surprised how often they say, well, that's weird. This patient haven't been here in seven years. It's very strange that the patient still describes Dr. Turner as their primary care doctor, mm -hmm. and they still have pill bottles with Dr. Turner's name on it, and yet Dr. Turner's office is saying they haven't seen him in seven years. I, I don't know how to explain that, but I see it. This is also kind of where HIPAA can kind of blow up and yeah. kind of bite us a little bit because I've called up before and I've said, hi, I have this patient in the hospital where I'm providing emergent medical care. And I need to know what medications he's taking. And I've had those same nurse office or those same offices basically say, sorry, you'll have to submit a request for information signed by the patient saying that we can release his medical records to you. And everyone knows that process, even when it when they try to expedite it usually takes days and we don't yeah. have days to, to find to wait and find out what We've some of the medications are. Yeah. Yeah. Even if the nurse faxes over a prescription list, sometimes the patient will say, Oh, no, at our last visit, we switched from the blue pill to the white pill, and they changed the yellow pill to the square pill. I mean, sometimes these patients' medication lists are changing so frequently that... Or they'll see another doctor. Yeah, or they'll it. see other doctors right. who change it. So, you know, it's rare that the primary care doctor is the only doctor that they see. Yeah. So, so in summary, don't assume that everything is in the computer um, because there's a lot of assumptions that have to go into that. For one, that my network is connected with where you usually go. And also, we're kind of at the mercy of the last person to enter meds in the computer. They might have got it right, but if you took 15 pills at home, there's a good chance they didn't. And it's a shame that we don't have more time to kind of do these sort of medication reconciliations. Yeah. Um, and just a note to our listeners, whenever a patient comes into the hospital, we do this process called a medication reconciliation. This is what Tyler's talking about. And it, ideally, it's where we would review every single medicine with the patient to confirm that they are taking what we think that they are taking. And I think when you have time to do this, you can discover some remarkable things. And that's sometimes where we find out why people are in the hospital in the first place. You probably overheard me on a call earlier thinking about a patient who was mistaking their gabapentin, which is a medicine for nerve pain. And this patient was taking it three times a day instead of once a day. And gabapentin can accumulate in your body and become toxic and cause people to get confused and do weird things and that was one of the things we thought might have been happening to this patient. And and so figuring out what you know how often they really were taking the gabapentin was pretty crucial. And yeah. patients make mistakes or patients mishear things all the time. Doctors may not give instructions that are always terribly clear. And all this is just to say that miscommunications happen. And pay, that can sometimes be a reason why patients get admitted to the hospital. And we yeah. don't, if we don't, if we don't have, know what they're taking at home. Yeah, we don't know what they're taking at home. And if we don't have time to accurately do this process, then that problem is going to perpetuate. That person's going to bounce back. I yeah. mean, it's going to it's going to continue being a problem. The so. last 
trick up my sleeve for getting a patient's home medication reconciliation done correctly is calling pharmacies. Mm-hmm. It, it would make sense. I mean, doesn't CVS and Walgreens keep track when they do this? They do. That's probably one of the more accurate ways to find out what they're what they're receiving. It can be. Um, not without its faults, though. Yeah. The good thing about pharmacies is they're typically, at least a branch is open 24-7. So yeah. even if I'm admitting someone 2 a.m. on a Saturday, I can call and talk to someone. Mm-hmm. And usually I can speak with a pharmacist who's pretty trained. And, and yeah. these pharmacists... I'd do a very good job of going over them line by line with me. Mm-hmm. Some of the fallbacks here, you'd be surprised how often patients tell me they don't know the name of their pharmacy they go to. <laughs> or sometimes they'll say, oh, I went to Walgreens last time and then CVS two times before that and then Publix the time before that and then Walmart the time before that. And this kind of goes back to if I don't have time to be on hold for 15 minutes, what makes you think I have time to call four different pharmacies? Yeah. And I'll Well, call- and some some medications are really expensive and if you're – Someone who's a bargain shopper, which I wholly recommend for for a lot of patients, yeah. you might get your best deal on one medication at Walmart, and you might get your best deal on another medication at Costco. And so there are some patients who really do split their medicines between the pharmacies because that's the only way they can afford them. And yeah, my point here wasn't to shame anybody. No, no, no. I'm no I know saying, you're saying you don't have time to call four different pharmacies, right. and you're right. Yeah. yeah. And kind of going back to what I said a little bit ago too, I'll call CVS and I'll I'll ask them, hey what pills does this patient take? And CVS will just give me like lisinopril metformin. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, the patient says they're on 15 medications and Walgreens will say, I only got two of them. Yeah. Just because either, I don't know, the patient's been shopping around or there's some error at Walgreens. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is, but that happens all the time. Or too. some of those pills or supplements that, right. you know, never make it into the, into the mar. Calling the pharmacy is a great tool, but it also has its limitations. Yeah. And that's if I'm speaking with a pharmacist. Sometimes at 2 a.m. they don't have a pharmacist on call and I get like you know, a pharmacy like a, tech. Yeah, or, a tech or someone. And they st- they generally still t- can be knowledgeable, I would say. Not they, as knowledgeable as the pharmacist. Yeah, but. they're not as good as a pharmacist. Because like with a pharmacist, I can say like, so is this patient taking any nephrotoxic medications? Yeah. Is this patient taking anything for blood pressure? And the tech probably isn't going to be able to answer that. Yeah. And I mean that not in a disrespectful way. I just, the point of this episode is explain why I can't get you on your right medication. So mm-hmm. that's me explaining it. Yeah. So in general, the point of this episode was not for me to make excuses as to why I suck at my job. I'm just saying <laughs> when you go to the hospital and you have 17 medications at home, please anticipate some errors. Please anticipate some delays. We are working as hard as we can. There is no point to scream at us and yell at us because, you know, you didn't get your one of your pills for three days you were there. We probably didn't know you were supposed to take it. And, mm-hmm. and, and and there are lots of roadblocks to us getting that done effectively. Yeah. there And again, there's people get so mad as if we yeah. intentionally kept somebody off their <laughs> off their life saving medication. Gotcha. And, it, you know, that's not it at all. It's really if we don't don't assume that we know you're taking these medications, you as a patient, I think this is where patients really do need to take some ownership of their health. Yeah, and don't assume your wife knows. OK, yeah. This is one of the things I tell you to pack if you're packing for the hospital. Keep a current and updated list of your medications in a safe place, you know, on your phone, you know, in a printout in your wallet. But again, it needs to be current and it needs to be updated and it needs to be updated regularly. And if you can't do those things and you need to, I think that's, you can't blame the doctors for not knowing if you can't coherently and succinctly tell them what you're taking. Yep. So that's the mystery of the patient's home medications. So I think that's it for today's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, I'd like to thank Swede Custom Studios and Two Birds Artwork for helping us with a thumbnail on our website. 
I'd like to thank Alex, our sound engineer, and Michael Coburn and Pixabay.com for our intro music. And I'd also like to thank our listeners. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit like or subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And don't be shy about sending us an email. If you have a question or you'd like to get on the show, uh, hit us up at sickenoughpodcast at gmail.com, S-I-C-K-E-N-O-U-G-H-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Yeah. All right, guys. See you next time.